Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. So last week we talked about the importance of God's Word, and that it is central to our lives. Today we're going to talk about prayer, and the next week we're going to talk about priorities that we see in the life of Jesus. We're going to key in on relationships, which were huge for Jesus. Uh, but today we start with prayer. And prayer is, I think, a simple topic and a very difficult topic at the same time. Uh, A simple way to define prayer is simply talking to God. God has set it up that we can simply talk to him. Us, tiny little created beings, can talk to the huge creator of the entire universe, and we can talk to him with our mouths verbally. God has the ability for us to talk to him in prayer in our minds. We can simply talk to him as we're driving in the car, even when we're sitting beside someone or in a coffee shop silently talking to him through our thoughts. We can sing prayers to him. Some of the songs we just sung today are oftentimes directed towards God. We can close our eyes and pray to him while we sing. We can write out our prayers. That's another way that we can be consistently praying and simply talking to God. We can use prayers that are planned. So sometimes we like having prayers already pre-written. Some like to just simply pray just out of their heart and just what comes to mind. Whatever pops in just goes right to the Lord in prayer. We have the ability to pray in public, and we can pray like this together, or we can pray in private. Those moments as you wake up, as you start your day. So in many ways, prayer is simple. He's given us tons of avenues to simply talk to him throughout the day, every day, all day, if we'd like to. But at the same time, while being simple, it's also very difficult. And there's a lot of hard questions that pop into our mind as we think about our prayer lives and conversations we've had with God and things we've asked of God. So as we're thinking about the difficult side, some of the questions that pop in my head are, what about those things I asked for from God that just never worked out, never came to be? What about when I prayed that God would help heal this person or remove this hardship or this suffering from this person, but yet I keep watching them struggle. I keep watching them suffer. What about that relationship that is still broken? I pray for it all the time, but it's still broken. Or that sin that I can't seem to shake. I've asked the Lord to remove the temptation and that desire from my heart, but uh, fall into that sin again. And we start asking some hard questions. Is God listening Is God just too busy for me? Does God care? And if we're not careful, it doesn't take very long for doubt to start to creep in and increase. And cynicism starts to creep in and increase. And when those things increase, oftentimes our time in prayer begins to decrease as we have very hard questions that we throw at the feet of God. So prayer is simple, but prayer is often very difficult at the same time. For example, this week, I don't know if I've seen a whole country rally around praying for one person as much as I've seen the country rally around DeMar Hamlin this week, the Buffalo Bills player who experienced that cardiac incident. It was scary if you happened to watch it, but on TV, folks would just stop and pray for him. The stadium prayed for him. Possibly this week, you prayed for him. And it looks like he's starting to turn around. He's doing better. He's speaking again from what I understand. But what if he didn't get better? What if this turned out where he got worse and we would have lost him? What what would the country then have thought of God and prayer if that would have taken place? 
What kind of questions would the country have asked? Is God unfaithful? Is God uncaring? Is he distant? Is he just not paying attention to our requests and our desires? I have a mom who I lost before I came to West Virginia, and she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And I remember the first set of prayers we prayed was, Lord, could it be an early enough stage that they could find it and remove it? God didn't answer that prayer. So the next prayer was, God, could you decrease the amount of suffering and increase the amount of longevity she gets here with us? Could we have a couple good years with her? God didn't answer that prayer either. It was very short. It wasn't years, it was months, and it was very difficult. She went from being fully functional to non-functional very quickly, and the suffering was very hard to watch. In those moments, we remember prayer is difficult. In those moments, we remember that it's just not that easy. We can talk to God, but there's depth and layers to that relationship and to those conversations. So today, we're gonna look at two big things. We're gonna look at the fact that prayer is relational, and we're gonna dive into that. I'm not gonna be able to answer all those questions I just brought up, but we're gonna tap on them, and we're gonna think about them, the difficult side of, of prayer. And it, part of that lands in the idea that God is relational, and he has intention and purpose in our relationship with him. And then we're gonna look at the fact that prayer is discipline. Like there's a, we gotta work on this a little bit side as well. So prayer is relational and prayer is discipline. And even as I was preparing this, I probably have a whole nother sermon worth of notes because there's just so much to this topic. So if 30 minutes from now you say, why didn't he talk about that? It's because I didn't have time. So we're gonna hit as much as we can together in these 30 minutes, starting with prayer is relational. And when I say prayer is relational, I mean it's not transactional. It's not like when you go to Kroger and you see things just getting checked out, you just get the things you want, you put them in your bag and you take them home. Our time with God, our prayer life is deeply relational. That is the foundation of our prayer life, is this relationship we have with God. Uh, so we're always building that relationship. It's not about simply getting stuff from God. It's about getting to know God, getting more of Him. We seek His face first, not His hand first. So I have a couple points under relationship. Uh, one is seeking intimacy. When it comes to our prayer life, we should be seeking intimacy. We see this first in the life of Jesus. The series is Practicing the Way of Jesus. So we're going to look at aspects of the prayer life of Jesus. One is, in Matthew 6, when he teaches the disciples how to pray, he starts by saying, Our Father who is in heaven. Our Father. That's a big thing to say. That's communicating an incredibly deep, dependent relationship on another. He looks at the Father as being that. And I know even for some of you in this room, it's hard to relate. When you think of father, maybe that's not a good set of feelings. Maybe there's some hard things that you went through with your dad. That's a different view than what we want to have from scripture. Because from scripture's point of view, when Jesus says, our father who is in heaven, he's talking about the goodness of our heavenly father, not what we've experienced here on earth. A heavenly father who knows us, who loves us, who sent his son to die for us. That's the father that he's talking about. In Romans chapter eight, verse 15, it talks about Christians who are filled with the spirit. And it says, in our prayer lives, the Holy Spirit will intercede. And when the Holy Spirit intercedes, he causes us to say things like this, Abba, Father. 
And that word there is like a very endearing way of saying father. It's like saying daddy, dad. So Jesus says, our father. And when the spirit fills us, he calls us to say, dad. So there's this deep, profound relationship we're called to have in those moments when we're praying and talking to God the Father. And what's fun here is Jesus, after he says, our Father who art in heaven, his next phrase is what? Hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Worthy are you of all praise. So even in that moment of acknowledging relationship and depth of relationship, his next response, his next thought is, and our next response should be, Oh, you are worthy. You are holy. Hallowed be your name. So when it comes to this relationship, there's an acknowledgement of it, and there's a response of being overwhelmed, thankful, praising the God who we get to talk to. So there's this relationship. There's a response of praise. But along the way, there's also some distractions. There's some distractions. One of them And when I say this, some of you are going to get this right away, and some of you are going to think, what is he talking about? Sometimes when we're praying, we get more focused on the prayer than the one we're talking to. Sometimes we get focused on what we're saying instead of focusing on God himself. And it can actually be a distraction. Uh, If you're ever praying in a public place, sometimes you want to make sure you say a good prayer. So one distraction can be is focusing on the words instead of focusing on God. Just something to think about. When you're praying, Are you concerned with what you're saying, how you're saying it, privately or publicly? Or are you just thankful to be in his presence? And it's just an open line of communication with you and dad. So one distraction can be focusing on the words instead of focusing on the Lord who we're talking to. Another particular thing that can become a distraction is sometimes we get focused on having a particular feeling or experience when we're praying. Like we're looking for an experience where sometimes we get that and sometimes we don't get that. It's not the feeling that is the center part of prayer. It's the God who we're talking to is the centerpiece of our prayer. And he will determine whether there's an experience or a feeling or not. You simply keep talking to him, recognizing who he is and the centrality of his relationship in your life and in my life. So what we seek is we seek him. We don't worry about what we're saying. We worry about him and we focus on that relationship. So step one is we seek intimacy. Step two is we want to have a right view of God, a right view of God. In every relationship you have, the way you view the other person will determine how you talk to them, the time you spend with them, the experience you have as you go into their presence. Say you have a boss and you know that boss doesn't like you. That boss doesn't appreciate your ideas. That boss doesn't seem to want you to get ahead. In fact, that boss just seems annoyed with you. When you go into that boss's office, what is your demeanor going to look like? How are you going to feel? How are you going to talk to him or her? You're going to walk with a little bit of trepidation. You're going to really think about your words. You're going to present your best self to try to prove that you should be liked. If you believe your boss enjoys you, appreciates you, likes having time with you, laughs at your jokes, pats you on the back for the things that you do. When you go into that person's office, you're relaxed. You walk in, you tell a joke, you talk about what happened over the weekend, you throw some ideas at them, knowing that they're not going to shoot them down. 
It's a completely different experience. So for you, when you enter into the throne room of God, how do you perceive him looking at you? God is a spiritual being. So when I say looking at you, is, it may not be exactly how it works, but how do you view his face, his posture, his body language when you walk into the throne room? When you walk in, is he excited to see you with his hands extended? Or do you view him as being more arms crossed, a little disengaged, not real excited that you're there? The corners of his mouth, do you view them going up when you walk in the room? Or do you view them going down? Do you view God as having an extended finger as you walk in the room? Or does he simply just have his hands wide open for a hug? How do you view him? Is he angry? Is he excited? Is he engaged or does he just look too busy? The way you view the Lord looking at you has a huge indicator of how you're going to be in those moments, how you're going to feel in those moments, whether you're going to enjoy going into the throne room or avoid the throne room. So when Jesus was baptized, again, we're talking about how Jesus worked through this. When Jesus was baptized and he came out of the water, the Bible says that the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And then the Father spoke. Do you remember what the Father said? This is my Son, of whom I am well pleased. So Jesus got to go through his whole life knowing that the Father is well pleased with him. He enjoys the Son. He loves the Son. He's well pleased with the Son. So when the, Jesus walks into the presence of the Father, he knows he's loved. Wow, what a great relationship as to have as a basis for Jesus' prayer life. How does God the Father view you? What would he say about you. If the heavens opened up right now and he stated one statement about you and his relationship with him, what would that statement be? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says, for everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus and know him as Lord and Savior, your sin went on Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus went on you. Righteousness of Jesus. What that means is his holiness is on you. His right standing before the Father is on you. His acceptance before the Father is on you. The Bible says that if you are in Christ, the Father sees you in Jesus. So what does that mean? That means when the Father sees you, he says this, my son, my daughter of whom I am well pleased, he says that of you in the same way he says that of Jesus. So that's the starting point for your relationship with God the Father. He is well pleased. Not because of what we've done, but because we're found in Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's the beauty of amazing grace is that you're found in Jesus. So when God the Father sees you, he is well pleased because you're in Jesus. So that's the starting point of your relationship. When it comes to what does God see when you walk into the throne room? He sees a son or daughter of whom he's well pleased and he can't wait to talk to you. And he's excited about the opportunity to spend time with you because he deeply, deeply loves you. The third point is trusting God's response. So we've talked about pursuing intimacy. We've talked about the importance of having a right view of God. And now it's 
how do we deal with and how do we work through God's responses to our requests? Because making requests are a part of this relationship. Jesus made requests. He said, give us this day our daily bread. So Jesus is requesting of God the Father that he would meet his daily physical needs. Jesus then says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So he also demonstrates to the disciples that we're to pray for our spiritual needs. So both our daily physical needs and our daily spiritual needs is a part of our conversation with God. We take them before God all the time. Daily bread means we daily request, right? Temptation is every day, so we should pray every day for help spiritually. It's a part of the conversation. Jesus also prays in Matthew chapter 9, pray for the Lord of the harvest, that he would raise up disciples, laborers to go into the harvest to make more disciples. So we're to pray for the mission. That's a part of what we pray for. We also see that Jesus in John 17, which is an entire chapter just of Jesus praying, he prays for a bunch of things, that we would be unified, that we would be one, like the Father and the Son are one, that we would deeply love one another. Jesus prays that the love that the world sees us have for one another would reflect on the love that God has for us. Jesus goes on to pray, Lord, those that you've given me, I want them to be with me where I am and to see me in my glory forever. So Jesus has a lot of prayer requests there as he's talking to the Father. So we should knock, we should seek, we should be that persistent widow. As we make requests, God can respond to those requests in multiple ways. God can say, yes. Here it is, yes. God can say, no, I'm not going to give that to you. God can say, not yet, at a later time. And here's something I want you to hear. There is just as much love coming from the Father when he says yes, as when he says no. They are equally loving responses. Both of those are given in light of this relationship we have with God where he knows best. Jesus in Luke 22 is basically in the shadow of the cross. Like Jesus knows it's coming and all the pain and torture that he's going to experience, he knows is coming. For Jesus is physical torture. The cross is a horrific way to die but there's also going to be spiritual pain as God the Father is going to pour the wrath of all our sins on Jesus. So Jesus is about to experience the most horrific death in the history of humanity, and he knows it. And in Luke 22, he prays. He prays to the Father. And he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Father, if you are willing to create some other way, Father, if there's some other action plan we could put into place where I don't need to go to the cross and bear the weight of the wrath of this, your sin, could you provide another way? There's some desperation there. In that same passage, it says that Jesus is overwhelmed to the point of death. So you want to hear that in the voice when he's praying that prayer. Is there some other way? What does the Father say to the Son? No, son, this is the way. No, son, you must drink the cup, every drop. 
The father doesn't say it verbally, but we watch Jesus then go to the cross and everything that was planned to happen happens. So God the father says to God the son, no, it must happen this way. Is that an example of God the father not loving God the son? Would we question the love of God the father towards Jesus? Never, but he said no, right? Because sometimes no is the most loving response that we can get. The father saying no meant that the son had to do the hard thing, but the hard thing was the good thing. He could see how momentary suffering would lead to eternal joy and glory for Jesus and the church. So the father said no. So often we can't see how all the pieces work together, but God the Father can always see it. So when he says no or not yet, it's the most loving thing that God could do. It's the best response you could receive, even if you don't understand it, even if you don't agree. Losing my mom was for her good. It was for my good. Somehow it was even for my dad's good as I watched him struggle and suffer. And it's for the good of God. God's world and his glory. Hard to watch, broke our hearts, but I trust him. Jesus trusted him all the way to the cross. We trust him in our moments of suffering when he answers yes and when he answers no. God is our father and he is well pleased with his children, but we must understand that in this relationship, there are things that God is not and there's things that God is. God is not, as we go to him with requests, God is not our spiritual barista, okay? You walk into the coffee shop and you just kind of tap on the bell and you're like, all right, I like it big. I'd like two squirts of this. I'd like two squirts of that. I don't really drink coffee, so I have no idea what I'm talking about. But I know you walk in and like you order your thing. You have your certain thing that you like. Some of you already, they already know you by name. They get you your stuff. And there isn't really a relationship. It's just more of they take your order and they give you what you want. That's not how your relationship with God works. God's also not your rich uncle. I don't know if you ever had one of these somewhere in the family, but just kind of the uncle who had a little bit more than everybody else. And he just he loved to just give little ex, bits of extra out. And he kind of expected them to. That's also not the way God works. And finally, a third thing that God is not is, I want you to catch this. God is not our peer. In that relationship, as we walked into the throne room, it is a throne room, all right? King of the universe, God of all things, Lord of lords, King of kings, he's not your peer or mine. So when I go in to talk to him and give him a request, it's not like I'm there to persuade him. It's not like I'm there where I can convince him or change his mind. It's not like I show up and I can bully him or have an ultimatum or say, if you do this, I'll do that. Like, that's not how it works. God's not our peer, so we still walk in with humility. We walk in with empty hands, with nothing to give. Okay, so he's not our spiritual barista. He's not the rich uncle. He's not our peer. When we walk in, we don't walk in and change God. It's important to understand that when we walk in, God changes us. We're the ones who gain a new perspective. We're the ones who are changed. We're not peers. It's a clay Potter relationship is created being creator relationship. Servant, child, son, daughter, father, king, lord relationship. He does not change. And we desperately need transformation. 
So in those moments of prayer, God uses that to change us, to grow us. So God is not those things, but God is our loving father. He knows what is truly best for us. So he hears all of our requests, but he's also aware of his plan for us. You and I, we have plans for ourselves, but he knows his plan for us and how each request goes with and goes along with his plan for us. He also understands how your request goes in with his plans for all the people around you. He understands how your requests is consistent with his plan for the world and for eternity and for all things for all time. You and I don't see those things. I'm just praying that the sun comes out today so I can go for a walk. And God's like, I have other reasons for why the weather's gonna be what it is today. God sees the bigger picture. He knows why, he understands that. So each moment for him is seen in light of eternity. And each request that we make is interconnected with all the requests everyone else is making. God sees how it all works. There's no way that we can. A couple of Saturdays ago, I prayed really hard that Ohio State would win. And I know that Matt Garrison was praying really hard that that wicked team from up north would win. So between the two of us, we were praying a lot. And I don't know if he just prayed more than I did, um, but my prayer wasn't answered and his was. I don't know why. It seems like I don't know. That's one of those big mysteries. Why would he ever let that team up north beat the Buckeyes? But I have to trust his plan. God knows how it all interworks together. And that's kind of a funny way of doing it, but there's a reality with very important things. I want her to live. And God's like, no, I'm ready to bring her home. So there's just moments where we can't see it. Only God sees it. God is good all the time. God is good all the time. And he's the definition of what good is. And good isn't always giving you or me what we want in the moment. A good father sees how each moment affects the next. He has your long-term eternal good in mind, not just your in this moment preference in mind. He knows what's good, what's best for you here forward. And good does not mean easy, Good does not mean hassle-free. Good does not mean peaceful. Good does not mean secure. Good does not mean without suffering. Remember his conversation with Jesus. Jesus is asking for another way than going through incredible suffering. And the father says, no, that's our path. I'll be with you, but that's our path. So our good and loving father will do what is best for us even when we don't understand it, even when we don't want it, and even when we don't agree with it. So remember Jesus. Jesus was loved in the same time he was told no. Jesus is considered equal with the father, but he was still called to suffer even though he asked for another path. Remember Jesus is our example that often the harder path is the better path. Second point, this one won't be as long as the first point. Prayer is discipline. Prayer is discipline. When we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus had to be very intentional with making sure he got time to pray. In Luke chapter six, verse 12, it says, it was at this time that Jesus went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. So Jesus had to get away. I mean, 
He had a lot of demands on him, more than any other human. He had a lot of demands on him and he would just have to get away sometimes. Okay, and the next morning it says he woke up and then he picked his 12 disciples. So on the edge of a huge decision, he spent the night in prayer to God the Father. Mark 1.35, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And eventually the disciples showed up. They're like, Jesus, there's so many people that want to talk to you. And then Jesus returns for a huge day of ministry. He had so much weight on his shoulders in terms of what he was doing in three years to prepare for the launch of the church, public ministry, private ministry, discipling everyone around him. He always made prayer a priority, but sometimes he'd have to do it in inconvenient times and in inconvenient places, going to the side of a hill, going on a mountain, sneaking away to a secluded place. Just for us, I just want to say this to me first, but then also to you. I don't have the time. It's just never really an excuse for prayer. If anyone ever didn't have the time, it was Jesus. But he would make the time because he saw it as a priority. Prayer hacks. So this is what we're going to do for the next five minutes. I'm going to throw at you some prayer hacks. A hack is like a way of making something easier to do, okay? And I have these things on social media right now for you. If you don't like writing things down, they're already there for you. They're in your app, in the bulletin, in the sermon notes. Like, I'm going to give you several. And I'm going to ask you at the end to pick one to do. I want all of us to take a step in growing in our prayer lives today. Before lunch ends, I'm going to ask you to tell someone that you're with, whether you're texting them or talking to them, what you're going to do differently today when it comes to your prayer life. First one, and we saw this in Jesus, you have a time and you have a place. You create a time and a place to pray. Like, this is your prayer place. This is your prayer time. And begins to establish a pattern. And as soon as you get a pattern, you are rolling. First prayer hack, have a time and a place. Create a pattern. The second one is have a home court advantage. What does that mean? Have a home court advantage. Have a place in your home, in a room, maybe in a corner, maybe in your office, that you just are able to relax into prayer. Have a space that is your prayer space. Maybe it's a seat on a couch. Okay, maybe it's a sitting at your desk and you know yourself. Maybe you're the type of person that gets unending notifications on your phone. So just make it a rule that your phone never comes into that space. It gets set in the kitchen and then you go to that spot. Maybe you're someone who can't pray when things are disorganized or cluttered. Have that spot always be clean and position your chair that you can't see all the other clutter in your house, okay? If you know it's gonna distract you, don't look at it. So create a home court advantage, a spot that works for you to be able to pray consistently without distraction. Habit stack, habit stack. What I mean by that is you have certain habits in your life that are never gonna go away. You're gonna shower every day, I hope so. If not, let's talk afterwards. Like, like you're gonna shower, you're gonna brush your teeth, you're gonna eat breakfast, you're gonna drive to work. There's certain things that you always do. Take your prayer life and stack it on the things you're already doing. When your alarm goes off, maybe pray for your heart. When you turn on the water to your shower, maybe that's when you start praying for your family. When you sit down for breakfast, maybe that's when you pray for your church. Like stack prayer on top of things you're already doing. If you do that, it just seems really natural. So 
habit stack. The next one, the next one, and I didn't create this phrase. If you know me well, you know this isn't my kind of phrase, but make a feel-good bundle. Make a feel-good bundle. What I mean by that is there are certain things in your life that you just love to do. Maybe for you it's that hot cup of coffee in the morning. I would love for you to take the things that you love to do and have prayer become a part of those things as you associate your prayer life with your favorite things. If you love going for a walk in the woods, on the road, on the boulevard, spend time in prayer while you're doing that thing. If you love time with a certain friend, have you and that friend spend a little time in prayer together as you're together? Maybe it's ice cream, okay? Some people love coffee at night. Some people like ice cream at night. So whatever it is that you enjoy, create a feel-good bundle with your prayer life. Incorporate prayer with the things you love the most. You'll find it becomes very easy to do. All right, I'm throwing another one at you. Hopefully you're starting to keep track of the one that you're gonna do. Four quarters, four quarters. If you've ever watched a game, you can watch a team come out and be terrible in quarter one, terrible in quarter two, and crush it in quarters three and four and win the game, right? With your prayer life, think about your day this way. The time between when you wake up to breakfast, the time from breakfast to lunch, before dinner and after dinner. You just turned your day into four quarters. So if you have a really bad first quarter, that's okay. Come back in the second quarter. Maybe you've got a bad half. That's all right. Third quarter, fourth quarter, kill it. Figure out how to do that. Like divide your day into quarters. Have a little part of your prayer life in each quarter of your day. So it's okay if you have a bad quarter. You still win the game. Accountability. Uh, have someone who will ask you about your prayer life. Maybe they text you. Maybe they call you. Maybe you meet them once a week, once every other week, once a month for coffee, and you just talk about it. Prayer buddies. Prayer buddies. It's really nice to have people in your life who you pray with. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know anyone to pray with. We have a lot of groups here, and one of the purposes of those groups is to have a place where you can pray. We have a prayer team here. Uh, you can talk to Paula at any moment, and Paula would love to put you on that prayer team. She's out at the Connect desk right after the service. Uh, that would be a way to do it. Uh, we have a group of ladies at Tara Ramos' house who get together and pray. Out here, the Next Steps wall on your app, you'll see the prayer group. That might be a great thing for one of you ladies to jump into and be a part of. Have some prayer buddies. Two more, a prayer list. It's easy to forget all the things that we should be praying for. So create a list. It doesn't mean you have to pray for everything every day, but maybe you pray for your spouse Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Maybe you pray for your neighbors on Tuesdays. Maybe you pray for your church on Saturdays. Make an actual list and keep track of it. I know some of you are obsessed with your lists. So if that's you, maybe this is your thing, right? You know, those people who do something, it wasn't even on your list, so you go back and you write on your list so you can just check it off. Like, <laughs> you weird people. Um, I do it too. Um, but like, maybe that's your thing. Have a list. One more. Create a physical reminder for you. Create a physical reminder. Maybe it's a sticker you put on your steering wheel that reminds you to pray. Maybe it's something you put on your phone. Maybe just that first screen on your phone is an actual prayer or a verse or something that reminds you to pray. Maybe it's something on your mirror in the morning. Some sort of physical reminder. I know when I was in college, I always had prayer cards in my backpack because I lived so far from campus. So I'd pull them out and I'd kind of work through my prayer cards. It was a physical reminder in my backpack to pray. Maybe that's your thing. 
for me, here's the two things I'm working on. So I'm not just asking you to work on things, I'm also working on things. Um, the first thing I'm working on is to have a time and a place. So every morning when I come to, to work, which for me, I work here in the church, I sneak in here, sit in one of the back chairs or one of the chairs up here if nobody's here yet, and I spend time praying for you and our church. Every time I come in the building, I try to stop first here and pray for you and the church. That's one of the things I'm working on. You can ask me about it. The second thing is I have a physical reminder, a prayer card that sits on my wall. There's a, there's a picture of it that we can put on the screen. And I try to pray through this before I leave every day. It's a prayer where I'm praying for spiritual revitalization and transformation for me, for you, and for the community. In fact, these are printed and put, it, put out on the tables out there today. If you'd like one of these, I'd love to, for you to join with me in praying this prayer. Maybe this is your thing that you do. Um, so those are the two things that I am working on. So what I'd like to do now is I'd like to pray for us and for you. And I'm gonna pray that God puts it in your mind and your heart what your next step is. And I'm gonna pause during the prayer for a little bit for you to kind of decide with the Lord what your next step is. And I'll close this and then we're gonna take communion together. Let's talk to the Lord. Father, so good to know that when we come to you because we're found in Jesus, you are well pleased with your children, not because of us, but because of Jesus. And the fact that you said no to Jesus's request and Jesus then went to the cross and bore the weight of our sin and your wrath, we can come before you and have full access to you. Lord, I thank you for the relationship that you've provided. Hallowed be your name. You're worthy of all praise. And may our lives be indicative of and reflect your goodness in the way we love you and love one another. And Father, I pray that this year in 2023, we would all take steps to grow in our prayer lives. Lord, even as I pause here for 15 seconds, I pray that each brother and sister in here would take a moment and reflect on what their next step is. Father, give us a heart for prayer. Father, give us a heart to be in your presence. Uh, as we take communion, allow us to celebrate and remember the goodness of you, Jesus. Uh, we love you. In Christ's name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.